FedEx Forum, Growl Towels, Super Grizz, each one a Memphis Grizzlies tradition. This is the Grizzlies Podcast. What's up, everybody? We are back for another week of the Grizzlies Podcast. I'm your host, Evan Barnes. We are here with DeMichael Cole, your Grizzlies beat writer. We are coming to you guys now after... John Moran has made his return to the Grizzlies on the court, put up 17 points in his first game off the bench in his, not just his pro career, but I believe his college career. He also, he he started every game at Murray State that he could play. So um, kind of a new thing for Ja, and obviously we'll get into that a little bit more. Um, but let's start with last night. DeMichael, we both were there. It was my first time kind of seeing Ja in person, but you've been able to see Ja really this week as he's kind of, you know, come back to the fold. We can give everybody the quotes that he said last night. That's at commercialappeal.com. You can read our stories there. Mark Giannato, our columnist, wrote a great piece. Um, DeMichael had great quotes from Ja. But I kind of want to get your sense, DeMichael, on the scene. Like, what was it like watching the crowd give the ovations to Ja? What's it been like kind of seeing Ja these last few days? And kind of what are you seeing about this whole situation right now uh, from your perspective? Right, Evan, it feels different. And and when I say different, you know, when I think of John ja Morant, and I'm sure it's been the same for you since he's been here, John ja Morant has always been this this outgoing personality, you know? He 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 kind of has a, a big personality. He has not been afraid, you know, in any way to speak his mind. He's never felt like, you know, a shy person in the room. But now that's what it looks like. Uh, you know, we the first time we talked to him. Well, going back before that, Monday, his first day back off of the suspension, you know, didn't play Houston, uh, not Houston Rockets game, Dallas Mavs game. Uh, he's sitting on the bench, and in the first quarter, pretty much early part of the game, he's not doing much. You know, he's very laxed in a way, and that's just not what we're used to seeing. Jaws getting up on the bench, you know, jumping around, one of the first teammates to to greet his guys when he, when they come back to the huddle and all that. But he was pretty much like in the shadows for a while. And talking to him after, you know, uh, on Tuesday, he basically confirmed that he was uncomfortable going into that stretch. And then Tuesday, I mean, we spoke to him, the media. You had media from everywhere. I mean, there was the whole local contingency was there, but there was also the New York Times. There was also the Athletic uh, ESPN. A lot of people came in to see what John Morant had to say as he faced – you know, the full cameras in Memphis for the first time uh, since, you know, his incident on the early morning of March 4th. So all that being said, Evan, then he had his first game. He came off the bench, right? Uh, I think all of that, in a way, just spoke to how mentally he is grasping this. And it's different. Uh, he's not tweeting as much as we're used to seeing. He hasn't posted anything on Instagram at all, not even on his story, not on his page. He hasn't posted anything. Uh, this is not what we're used to seeing from Ja. And in a way, it feels kind of like, you know, he's 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 sheltering him away himself in a, in a way. And I know he said in regards to the Instagram lives, you know, he won't be doing that at all uh, going forward. Sounds like he's going to be tweeting less. Uh, it's going to be a different Ja Morant than we're used to seeing. And, you know, there is the good to that, right, where you, you take away some of the you know, I guess you can say, for lack of a better word, some of the immature, you know, things that he that he had to deal with 
because of, you know, how he, you know, had his approach to social media. But there's also the other side of it. And he's so outgoing and free flowing. I think that was a big part of building up his brand and his likability. And now, you know, he has to kind of reconfigure how to still be that person, but with less of a social media presence. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be interesting because imagine being the person that you've always been for, you know, a relatively young portion of your life. And now all of a sudden you have to really make some drastic changes because of decisions you made. And I want to be clear, these are decisions that that, you know, he made, but it's difficult. I mean, you have to really kind of walk in these this new these new shoes, if you will. And navigate it in front of everybody who's watching you you move. Um, I don't envy John that position at all. I think it is going to be difficult. But what I'm hoping for is that, and we said it before, th- this is a process. This is absolutely a process for Ja to, you know, find himself, rediscover who he is. But more importantly, just, you know, learn how he can be himself in this new role. Like, all really, what he needs to do is just make better decisions you know, be, you know, mindful off the court. And I think the past summer really was a wake up call for him to realize, okay, more people are watching me now. This, this gun incident, obviously a, 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 a terrible mistake, but it's a chance to grow and learn from it. And what I saw yesterday, again, that was my first time seeing him, a calm, measured, still trying to find his way. Um, you could tell the questions he answered. He had that same confidence, but it was very much a, a person who has been, in deep process. Like he mentioned to us about how he had been doing his breathing exercises before the game to kind of, you know, get his mind right that he's been working on. Um, It's interesting to me because this is going to be difficult, but I think yesterday was a good step forward to show, okay, you knew you were going to get love from the crowd and the crowd was already showing love when he came out for warmups. The few fans who were there were cheering for him. Um, The standing ovation when he checked in was obviously expected, but it was wonderful to see. Um, you know, the end of the game when Ja came in, people were excited um, and Desmond Bay ended up taking over and the fourth. But overall, I think it's going to be interesting to see how he grows from this because I could see someone who was very tentative, but still confident yeah. in who he was. It was just a matter of how do I negotiate this new chapter? And I think for him, that's going to be an ongoing process, maybe continuing through the summer and beyond, I think. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, it's, it's it's definitely, as he said, I mean, you used his exact words. His words are, it's going to be an ongoing process. And being said, you know, just, just watching him, you, you, you talked about the calmness there. And he has really put an emphasis in talking to us, whether it was, you know, after uh, his first game and, or, you know, at it after his practice, um, He's put an emphasis on his mental uh-huh. and he's he's talking about it a lot. You've heard him talk about the breathing treatments. He told us how before uh, the game against the Rockets, he did meditation and things like that. He even said, Evan, which I thought was interesting, because when we talked to Taylor Jenkins, Taylor Jenkins had talked, you know, about uh, the decision to bring John Morant off the bench was kind of 50 50 between, you know, ramping him up the reconditioning things as well as, you know, how well the Grizzlies have been playing. But talking to Ja, he also said that, you know, his just the mental, you know, uh, comfortability. This was a part of it. You think about the first game he came back uh, against the Mavs that we just mentioned where when he didn't play, he walked out uh, the first quarter. He was very sheltered. So mm-hmm. now the Grizzlies bring him off the bench. 
And I feel like, you know, I, I always thought that was part of that, you know, decision-making process. But Job ja basically, you know, confirmed that even though Taylor Jenkins didn't say so himself. Yeah, that's that's definitely for sure. And I think for me, um, it shows, again, speaks to Job ja being a team for, like, let's not forget, Ja is on the court a team-first guy. And he's, he's been more served the last two years. But I think Ja's nature is being unselfish and doing what's necessary for the team. That's how he was raised as a point guard. And so to hear him say that he wanted to come off the bench and just kind of, you know, ease his way back, I thought that was very noble of him. It also fits part of the character that we've seen about him too. And so, yeah, it, it's going to be a process. It's going to be something where we have to kind of give him the grace that people have given, but um, it's going to be interesting to see what, what happens because obviously for Ja to make this change he's going to have to continue to deal with it while people are watching. And it's going to be a challenge. Obviously, the playoffs are going to bring a lot more stress um, just because of the high stakes of the games. And the Grizzlies obviously trying to improve on last year's second-round run. But for me, what my hope is, is that for Ja, ultimately, you want to see him continue to be whole. You want him to just continue to do things that are going to be better for his wholeness. And in result it makes him a better person, which ultimately will help him be a better player. Um, and I've, I've kind of rejected, and maybe I'm going off on this, I've kind of rejected the whole, I hope Ja comes back stronger from this, only because I want him to be better. And in being better, he can become stronger. But strength, to me, implies this is only going to make you stronger because of, you know, this is a tough ordeal. That's true, but I also want Ja to be more whole, like, you know, work on his inner self, and then the strength can come from within to grow from this and be stronger. So for me, job being better from this is ultimately what I think we all want to see. And, you know, it's it's a it's a moment of truth for him. And we're going to kind of have to watch that as it goes. But yesterday was a great first step, I think. And switching gears now, the other part of yesterday's win was Jaron Jackson Jr. having one of the best nights of his career. I mean, 37 points, 10 rebounds, the first time he's had 35 and 10, or 30, at least 35 points and 10 rebounds in a game in his career. good, yeah. I, I was impressed. Like, I mean, it, it's weird, like, to Michael, like, watching Jaron has been something to see. You know, when I was the beat writer, I kept telling myself, Jaron's going to have to become more aggressive inside because that's where his future is. That's where he's going to make his money because the whole unicorn shooting rim protecting thing, there's a cap for where that can do. If he can be inside, oh, my gosh, watch. And what we have seen in these last – since Ja's been out, really, but more this year. But what we've seen from Jaron is he is looking more and more like a complete two-way player where he is just attacking the rim, being aggressive, going after smaller players, um, and going inside and establishing himself as a post player, not just somebody who's, I'm trying out these moves. He wants the ball in the post to do his job. And again, this isn't some like old-school thought that, yeah, the big man's in the post. Jaron is understanding he can take his dribble drives and everything and be so good in the post. Um, before I give you some stats, DeMichael, what have you thought about Jaron's growth? You wrote a story about this uh, some time about, ago about how the Grizzlies, to be even better, Jaron's got to be a force. What are you seeing differently in Jaron that's making him such a much more effective offensive player? Yeah, it's the assertiveness. And it's it's not just from Jaron. It's it's the awareness of his teammates, the coaching staff, to say, look, nobody can guard this dude. Uh, only a few, you know, nobody on these teams. You know, the Rockets didn't have anyone who could guard Jaron Jackson Jr. 
So in the past, you've seen it, I've seen it, either whether it be foul trouble for him that'll take him out of the game or, you know, the Grizzlies just continue to run their offense. And, you know, if he gets the ball, he gets it, he doesn't, someone else, you know, takes a shot. Now it's a focal point where everybody move out of the way. We're going to put Jaron Jackson Jr. on this side of the floor. We're going to put a shooter on the same side as him and let him work. That's what we're seeing. And, he, and it's it's dominant basketball. We talk about the half-court offense all the time, right? Uh, not all the time, but we talk about it a decent amount as one of the Achilles heel to this team, right? The, the half-court offense has to improve if you want to be a championship team. If you look at the best half-court offenses in the NBA, it's very simple. They get the ball to their best players, they create mismatches, and they put them in efficient positions. What the Grizzlies are doing now with Jaron Jackson Jr. is they're getting him the ball on the block, they're moving out of the way, they have more shooting now, you know, playing guys like Luke Kennard and Desmond Bain together, which we're seeing more and more of, and other guys are shooting the ball as well. Uh, it's efficient basketball, and it's kind of – giving them an identity in the half court. Uh, Jaron has has always heard the word potential. I was talking to him, you know, the other day about it. He was like, look, man, uh, he's like, I heard it in AAU. He heard it when he was one of the top prospects coming out of high school. It was the potential where, oh, he has the potential to be this. He heard it at Michigan State, right? He heard it when he got drafted by the Grizzlies. Everyone was saying the potential. And every year in the league so far, the word potential has just, he's basically just, took that word out of his head. Like, it doesn't exist in the Jaron Jackson Jr. dictionary. But we're starting to see him fully grasp that. You mentioned the story I wrote. And there was some, you know, some candidness from his teammates in there. You know, uh, Desmond Bain told me, ah, he doesn't, he doesn't know. He said, Jaron Jackson Jr., he doesn't know how dominant he can be yet. Not yet. He doesn't know. And then Dylan Brooks said the same thing. But Dylan Brooks said, I've been telling him since we were in the bubble. He can be one of the best players in the NBA. And Dylan Brooks said he's just got to be more of a dog. Evan, we're seeing more of a dog right now. Uh, the dunks he's throwing down, I've been around you know, him for a little bit now. I don't remember him dunking just with this volume, with this you know type of you know authority. And uh, he, he was dominant on the glass against the Rockets. Like he's being more forceful all around, and the defense is still there. So he's turned into a guy where – I, I talk to people around the NBA, you know, a lot just to get their perspective on the Grizzlies. And one thing that some people have said to me is that the Grizzlies don't have that bona fide number two. You know, Jer you know, Jaron Jackson Jr., Desmond Bain, but they don't have that bona fide number two to go with Ja. Uh, he's that guy now. Uh, and, and, and there's a strong argument that in late game situations, he can be your number one option based on matchups and, and the flow of the game. Uh, he's turning, he's turned into, you know, a guy who's proven that he deserved that all-star spot and much more of him. Demichael, you made a good point in the playoffs. You mentioned that it's all about who can get you a bucket. It's all about who can get you a bucket the easiest. And we've seen now that, you know, the, the, the offense slows down. The the rhythm is a little bit out of whack. Teams are going to get you out of your rhythm. They know what you're going to do. It's all about can your guy get a shot against the other guy? And John can get his shot. We're going to see if Desmond Bain can get his shot. But the fact that Jaron is starting to get his own shot in the sense that you set him up in the, in the low block and he can find a way to make something happen, that's going to be so crucial because 
it's still a game of size. Like the game is has obviously spread out to the three point line. But if you got a six eleven, seven foot dude who can get you a shot, that's an easy option you can turn to when the game is hard to you know you know guys are it's hard for guys to hit their shots or whatever. So to me, that's important for Jared because in the playoffs. That's an automatic shot that's looking like that. That's really, really good. I, I said I was going to throw some stats out for Jaron. I'm going to show y'all. I'm going to give you guys some numbers here because this is remarkable what Jaron Jackson has been doing lately. Um, for Jaron, the last 10 games since John Morant's absence, um, the first starting with that, that Clippers game on, on the fifth, Jaron is averaging 24.1 points, nearly seven rebounds a game, 6.9, shooting 53.5% from the field. 1.9 blocks. It's the point total that I'm looking at here. 24.1 points per game. That includes two 30-point games. And last night, obviously, being the second most points he scored in a game in his career. That tells you right now that Jaron Jackson has taken control and saying, I need to step up my game with John Moran out. I need to go show what I've been doing this year. And he has been on a tear. And the and Grizzlies need add, that. Yeah, if I can add, like, with those Jaron numbers, you you just said twenty four, over twenty four points per game. Yes, throwing the, he had a, he had a couple clunkers in this stretch as well. He had seven yeah. points and six rebounds on on like two of eight shooting against uh, the Mavs in, in in the blowout win uh, yeah. earlier on the road. And then I think one of the other Mavs games, he also uh, had like just fourteen points on on three yeah. of twelve shooting. Yeah. So he had a couple like. Bad games in that stretch, but now you you're seeing the consistency and and that's always been one of the words right along with potential with him. Yes, yes, and if, again, you take those games, you take those two games out. Jaron's free Jaron's field goal shooting has been pre is pretty amazing. I mean, he was 14 of 20 last night, and at one point I believe he made his he was 13 for 13 on two point field goals. I mean, that's a level of Jaron that we haven't seen is where Jaron is efficient inside. And yes, you can say whatever is against the Rockets, you know, not a great team. But the efficiency, the sense of I can dominate this team, let me go to work. That is important for him just confidence wise to show that, hey, you can do this and you can do this consistently. So I, I, and the one thing that's funny to me, I look this up, Jaron's career high is 43 points, right? He had that in 2019. That was when. I was still covering Memphis football, and you were were you in Philly or were you in college in twenty uh, November twenty nineteen December? Oh, I was I was I was in Philly. Mm-hmm. You were in Philly, Philly. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So December nineteen, uh, twenty nineteen, Jaron has his forty three point game. Jaron made nine three pointers that night. Demichael, you know this. How many three pointers did Jaron make last night? Hey, it was all it was all about the inside last night. Yeah, it was, he made it was one- get out of the way and let me dominate. Yeah, he made one three-pointer last night in a 37-point game. That is impressive because that shows you how Jaron realizes, hey, you can still get your shots off, but I'm doing it inside. I'm doing it where it's going to be easier for me to get easy shots, and then you open up the game by being able to take a guy off the dribble or hit a three-pointer every now and then. Jaron is doing this inside in a way where you see him starting to look like, oh, my gosh, as great a rim protector he is, and again, he is probably the leading candidate for defense player of the year. If he can be this guy, now you're talking about, you know, not necessarily Joel Embiid type, because obviously Embiid is a different a different type of player. You're not talking Anthony Davis, maybe just yet, but in that tier below them and below Jokic, obviously, 
it's not a stretch to say Jaron could possibly be there. And you mentioned the word potential. I think for me, you know, with Jaron being in year um, year five, this is where he's going to start realizing this is the player that I can be. You know, this is the player I can be because after a while, potential becomes where is it? He's showing what he can do right now, and it's amazing to watch. I mean, I'm going to throw this up too. Uh, the 14 made field goals tied his career high from that Minnesota that uh, Milwaukee game in December 19, where he had his career high. Um, Jaron is also shooting, and I want to make sure I find this. So I just look this up now. Jaron is shooting 50 percent from the field. It's right below his rookie year career high um, of 50.6. He's at 50.2 right now, but on two point field goals. Jaron is shooting 59.1%. That is really good. On eight shots inside the paint, he's averaging 8.3 shots on two-point attempts. That is impressive because that's where Jaron is going to get his money. That's where Jaron's going to be, look, I can hit this three and be this stretch five, stretch four, but if you can't stop me inside, cancel Christmas. Like, that's yeah. something that's going to make him a very, very good player. And I'm, you can tell in my voice, I'm excited to see that. Michael, you sound like it too. Like, this is the Jaron that I think can make the Grizzlies go to the next level, as you as you kind of wrote about. He, he he knows it, Evan too. That's that's one of the most impressive parts about it to me. I was I was asking him about how dominant he can be. Like like, do you do you know? And and he was like he was like yeah I, I he was like I I, I you know I, I test him out. You know they said he's supposed to become more of a dog, right? So it's like let's let's let me hear. I want to hear him talk. Like a dog. He, where's where's this dog mentality at inside of Jaron Jackson Jr.? And we were talking the other day in the locker room, and the conversation was like, do you feel like guys can't guard you? He's like, yeah, I feel like that every game. And, you know, it's more about, you know, he he wants to stay in the flow of things, and, and, and you know, his teammates will get him the ball uh, when necessary and when right and, and all of that. But he's understanding it more that, hey, look, I'm dominant, and these guys can't guard me. Yeah, yeah, no, without question. I think that's that's going to be key. As much as Desmond Bain grows into being a facilitator and getting to the rim, and he's obviously having a great season, Jaron's growth inside being that forceful player, it's going to take a lot of pressure off Ja. It gives the Grizzlies a true big three that you have to worry about because obviously Jaron on defense, eater of worlds, right? You know, but if you can have three dudes – who can do this. And obviously with Dylan Brooks this year, that's four guys who you potentially can hope for, you know, teams have to account for. Um, this could be a very interesting playoff run. And, you know, with the West as it is right now, who knows what could happen, especially when Steven Adams gets back. Um, that's a good segue into the last part we're going to talk about here. The the playoff standings, because there are 10 games left for the Grizzlies. And um, I'm going to just set this up for everyone right now. The Grizzlies are, yeah, 10 games left. They are two games ahead of the Sacramento Kings for the three seed. They are now seven games ahead of fourth place Phoenix, um, who lost yesterday to the Los Angeles Lakers. And remember, the Grizzlies and Kings, if they tie, the Kings hold the tiebreaker because, oh no, the Kings hold the tiebreaker because of conference record, right, DeMichael? Right, right, right. So we're looking right now at, I, I think we can go ahead and say this, with 10 games left, the Grizzlies are probably locked into a top three seed right now. I think you can safely say, barring a incredible collapse by the Grizzlies. Yeah, it'd have to and, be astronomical. <laughs> yeah, and a similar tear by the Phoenix Suns. It's pretty safe to say the Grizzlies are probably going to be in that 
you know, top three spot. Now it gets fun because obviously that means every game with the Kings and the Grizzlies matter. Um, and also, let's not forget Denver, which is sitting at number one. They're not exactly out of reach. The Grizzlies are three and a half games behind them, but the Denver's been kind of struggling a little bit. So there's an outside chance for that that one seed. But right now, I think it's down to two or three realistically. So, so Michael, I want to ask you kind of what do you think about how these next 10 games are going to go? What's going to be what are you going to be looking for? How fun is it going to be to kind of have this playoff race for this two, three seed with the Grizzlies and the Kings team that honestly kind of reminds of the Grizzlies last year, kind of this upstart out of nowhere team making a push. Yeah. So let's let's start here. Like some some people have asked me, well, why does it matter so much, the two or the three and, and that whole thing? And and here's why it matters to me, because in theory, it, it doesn't matter when you talk about who the Grizzlies could play in the first round because there's no separation. It could be anybody. And the way the Western Conference is shaping up, the seven, the team that ends up at seven could probably be a better team than the team that ends up in the sixth spot. So you could be playing, you know, a better team. Uh, even as the two seed, but I'm looking at it as you get to secure home court advantage through at least the first two rounds of the playoffs, no matter who you play. Uh, the Kings, right? That that that's who the Grizzlies are battling for the two and the three spot. Yeah. If the Grizzlies fall to three and the Kings get the number two spot, I think there's some concern there. If we if you saw that game in Sacramento where the Grizzlies played the Kings, and you saw uh, the, the last game in Sacramento. You watched the way that Sacramento team shot the basketball in that game. Grizzlies players were telling me they've never seen a team shoot like that. Uh, that offense is explosive, and you give them four home games, that's a scary scenario. Grizzlies at home right now, best record in the NBA, current 9-10 game win streak uh, at home right now. So uh, you want to secure home court as long <laughs> as possible. And if you secure it through the first two rounds, in my opinion, Evan, I don't know what your opinion is, but if you look at the four and the five spot right now, you got a couple teams in that range who I think have decent chances at at knocking off uh, the Nuggets if it comes to that. Does the Suns win healthy with a Kevin Durant uh, back? That's a team that could match up right now as the four seed. They could match up with the Nuggets in the second round, which if the Grizzlies advance to the Western Conference Finals, would give them home court over whoever the team they could face. Uh, the Warriors beat beat the Nuggets last season in the playoffs. If they get a couple guys back, you know, Andrew Wiggins has his off-the-court situation he's dealing with. Uh, Gary Payton II is another guy that team is relying on to get back yes. to help its defense. If they get Gary yes. Payton back, uh, Evan, some, some things can get real interesting on that side. So my opinion of this is throw out who you could possibly play because that's not clearly as tight as it is. That's not going to take care of itself until the last week of the season. Get home court advantage for as much as possible. You don't want to go into that second round and having to go uh, to golden one center in Sacramento. And these people, uh, they're thirsty right now for this, for this playoff. So that's, that's, that's a tough situation, I think. So you, you need that two seed in my opinion, and you worry about who you're going to play and all that later, but it's going to be a fun push because the Grizzlies, while they don't have an overly hard schedule, uh, Sacramento still has the easier schedule uh, through this closing stretch. You know, Sacramento, just upcoming games here, they they play the Suns at home. Then they get the Utah Jazz at home. They get 
the Timberwolves at home. They go on the road for a couple games after that, but it gets a Portland team that's kind of falling out of the hunt. So Portland's going to be, I mean, who knows? And then after that, they get San Antonio and New Orleans to close the season. So there's a realistic chance that they might not lose for the remainder of the season. All those games, uh, they're probably going to be <laughs> favorites. I'm, I mean, we're being honest. They don't have... You know, they they just had a tough week here, and the Grizzlies took advantage. The Grizzlies won when they lost against the Celtics, when the Kings lost against the Celtics, and the Grizzlies, you know, have now, you know, are up two games on uh, this Kings team. So it's going to be a fun stretch. I think what I'm looking for uh, to the most is the Grizzlies have to close the game, close the season with the three games on the road. If those Mm -hmm. games will matter to those opponents, I'm sure it'll matter uh, to Oklahoma City which I think is one of the teams uh, in that stretch. Uh, Milwaukee game, you know, Milwaukee has some cushion in the East. So on paper, that's a tough game. But who knows? Milwaukee may rest some guys. They may not be playing, you know, as much. The Pelicans as well. That's another team that's in the hunt. Uh, Zion, we saw, could be reevaluated in two weeks. Is that a game where he could be available for the Pelicans? So when you talk about the chase, right now, I think the Grizzlies are fine. You know, they got all these games at home. Uh, you get the Rockets. You go on a roll against the Hawks, who've been struggling a little bit. You get the Magic at home, the Clippers at home twice. Tough team, but Paul George news is tough on their side. So they're going to be without uh, a player who I think Paul George scored 42 points in that last game against the Grizzlies. Like, he's a he's so. a big deal. He's a big deal. So uh, he had 42 and I think 10 boards. So uh, no Paul George for both of those Clippers matchups. And you get the Clippers at home. You go on the road against the Bulls after that. Then you get the Blazers at home. The last three games are on the road against the Pelicans, Bucks, and Thunder, three teams that could have playoff implications in those games. That's what it will come down to. Right now, I think you just got to hold off this Sacramento team. They're probably not going to lose that much more of them. That is an excellent breakdown, you guys. That's why DeMichael is who he is. He broke it down so well, gave y'all everything. I'm just going to fill in some gaps here because I feel like some small gaps. Michael laid it out so well. So for the standings right now, as of we recording this on Thursday, as of right now, um, if the if the playoffs started right now and the play-in game went as it would, the Warriors are sixth, Timberwolves are seventh, OKC eighth, the Mavericks are ninth, the Lakers are tenth. That's what the bottom of the uh, play-in situation looks like with the Jazz and the Pelicans a half game behind the Lakers. So there's a lot of shake up below there that could happen to figure out the bottom of the playoff bracket. But I think if the Michael said, what's important is take care of your business because you need to worry about staying ahead of the Kings. Um, I want to throw this out too. Um, the Michael mentioned strength of schedule um, tankathon, which we've always used to kind of determine strength of schedule, the great website, the, the Grizzlies at once had a very easy schedule at the end of the year. We thought Sacramento schedule was tough. Sacramento's schedule strength is 19th in the league out of 30. The Grizzlies is 22nd. So DeMichael is right. Like the schedule right now is terrible for both of these teams where um, you can't afford to miss, you know, every game is going to matter. Every game is going to be important. And I think if you love basketball, you want that. I think the NBA now is looking at this situation where it's saying, hey, the play-in game has made a lot of things matter for people and keeping more teams engaged. But I think also if you're, you know, uh, a team that's higher up, you kind of want to have the one-two seed because you might get a chance to play a team that is less rested, that you can kind of figure out a little bit, and it's made it a little bit more fun. So um, I'm going to throw that there too. And then one more thing, DeMichael mentioned the Bucks at the end of the season for the Grizzlies. As we said, 
Um, the Bucks right now, the number one seed in the East, they've already clinched the playoff spot. I happen to look and see what that game is for them because the Grizzlies do play them in the second to last game of the season. Um, if you look at the Bucks schedule, that is their last home game. So there's a good chance. Um, and they play the Bulls the night before, the two days before that on April 5th on ESPN. So that Memphis game is their last home game of the year. If they have locked up the number one seed, I think you and I understand this to Michael. I would expect them to start maybe resting guys. Wouldn't surprise me if they did. No. It might not. I mean, maybe they want to put on a show for their last home game, but I assume they want to try to rest some guys and get them ahead. And we know Bootenholzer is obviously going to is he is not opposed to doing a solid for Taylor Jenkins. I remember in the bubble in 2020. Um, the Grizzlies, I think, had to play the Bucks to help decide if they can get into the play-in game. And uh, the Bucks just so happened to rest Giannis and a few guys, if I'm not mistaken. So uh, that, <laughs> yeah. that could happen. But, yeah, I, I think this is going to be fun. I mean, the good news is you have a two-game lead with 10 games left if you're the Grizzlies. Um, the important thing for you is take care of business. Like, you're not going to be watching the standings super closely every night if you're taking care of business. But if you're a fan, watch the standings. Because right now, the next thing to keep an eye on is when will the Grizzlies clinch a playoff spot? That should be coming up, hopefully, within the next week or so if they, if they continue to win. Um, or maybe the last week of the regular season. Who knows? The division title has already been wrapped up. Grizzlies are back-to-back Southwest Division champions. So really, for 10 games, you want to see how does Ja fit in? He'll be starting games pretty soon. He's probably going to come off the bench Friday. How is he looking? Can Jaron keep this up? Can Dylan Brooks, when he gets back, can he continue to, you know, keep his emotions in check? Because he was suspended for Wednesday's game. You know, he's got 18 technicals now. So can he not get to 20 and get another suspension? Because um, every game is important. And really just how this is going to play out. Will they stay ahead of the Kings? Will they get that number two seed for the second time in franchise history? I mean, there's a lot of fun that's happening right now. Maybe the Grizzlies are, gonna, are not going to get to 56 wins again. But this is going to be a fun, wild West. I'm excited to see. DeMichael, as we wrap up, you're pretty excited to see how this ends, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think what makes it exciting, Evan, is a week and a half ago, two weeks ago, it looked like the Grizzlies could be a first-round exit. If we're being yeah. honest. If things were falling apart. Now, just that fast. This shows how fast things change in the NBA. Just that quick there's a realistic path for this team winning the West. I mean, that just shows you how quickly things shift in the league. And now there's a lot of excitement in Memphis. Absolutely. So stay tuned for the next two weeks. Obviously we're going to have plenty of coverage at commercialappeal.com. DeMichael is going to go, not just, we'll obviously be at the game on Friday, but DeMichael will be live in Atlanta on Sunday for John Morant's first road game. We're going to, he's going to have some great stuff from that game. Obviously, we're going to see how the road crowds uh, respond to John Morant, um, but we're going to have a lot of great coverage for you, so stay tuned and we'll be ready to document these fun final 10 games of the regular season and then obviously, the postseason will be a lot more fun as well, but we'll get to that later. For now, 10 games left. Strap in. Enjoy. For DeMichael, I'm Evan. Thank you all for listening. We'll be back next week. The Grizzlies Podcast is a production of The Commercial Appeal.